All right. Welcome back to another episode of Over Engineered, the podcast where we ask the very important question, what's the best way to do things that don't really matter? Uh, today, I am here with my friends Shane Rude and Daniel Colborn. Welcome, guys. Hello. What up? Um, and we have been talking about this particular topic outside of the podcasting world for a while, so I'm excited for it. But uh, before we kind of get into what we're talking about today, uh, would you two like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, I'm Shane. I am a developer and own a couple of businesses in the Magic Gathering space. I've uh, been working with PHP for a little over 15 years. Cool. Um, I'm Daniel. I'm a developer. I currently run a, like a small agency called Thunk with a couple of my friends sort of specializing accidentally in like event sourcing and like live wire and alpine stuff so that is kind of what i'm up to these days but i've written a lot of laravel and various front-end javascript frameworks and stuff over the last couple of years i also can't imagine that someone will be listening to this without having heard of no plans to merge but uh, daniel is also the co-host of the podcast no plans to merge no plans to merge.com that's right not .fm uh, no, but I do own nptm.fm, which redirects to noplanesemerge.com. <laughs> so. Weren't you the one who convinced me to get the .fm? Because the .com wasn't available, yes. Okay. All right. Well, so event sourcing is definitely uh, one of the things that's going to come up today. But let me, let me set the scene. So, right, like uh, every episode, we pick a thing that uh, programmers in general probably, but certainly Laravel developers, are likely to, to bump into over and over again and uh, choose a solution that is fine, but maybe not the best. Um, and one of them that Shane and I have talked about a ton, and you and I have talked about a ton, Daniel, are uh, status columns. When you have a model, and it has a status column, and you need to deal with status transitions, and you need to deal with timestamps related to statuses. I feel like this is a thorn in my side uh, every few months, and I've never really been happy with the solution that I've come up with, uh, whether that's you know just a column that is the status, and then a couple timestamp columns, or some sort of like status column that's derived from timestamp columns, I know that there are lots of packages out there that try to do this, but uh, it's just always annoying to me. And I feel like one thing to call out is that like the status column is not really a problem. The status column itself is a solution, right? Um, yes. And so like, I think there is like getting to the underlying problem that a status column solves, which is like, sure, I have a model that passes through phases and I want to know like where it is in that in that journey right yeah where it is potentially when it got to where it is or when it got to specific phases potentially also how and why it got there but a status column won't tell you those things <laughs> yes yeah how and why i think how and why don't come up as much for me but sometimes they do for sure when happens 
a lot, I think, depending on the status. And then what the status is at the current moment, I think, comes up all the time, right? Is there anything that you want to add to, to that, Shane? Um, yeah, I mean, this is something I see a lot of is various contexts of having a status column. And, and my general approach is just that, have a, a status column and have a timestamp for every possible value. Um, and that I find works in the majority of cases. So like uh, accepted at, rejected at, declined at, canceled at, just a bunch of timestamps for all of the different transitions? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I feel like it, when we're talking about this, we should, I feel like we should like take a step back and like define a domain that we're trying to solve a problem for, even if it's like a fake made up domain. Do you have one yeah, in mind, Chris? I, I, I'm happy to uh, provide something or if like Shane, do you want to use a, a real world example from, from the app that you're working on or do you want to uh, use, I, I have an example I could make up. Yeah. I mean, I definitely could offer some examples. I was just looking at stuff like this earlier today. Um, so I'm trying to pick like, what's the best sort of model to start with? Um, let's say somebody wanted to sell a collection of magic cards. So that's something I see all the time in my life. Yeah. Let, let's just say, for instance. <laughs> um, so if I were thinking through what are the statuses of that kind of, uh, what I'll, we, I refer to as an inquiry. Um, so they submit a form and at that time, let's say it's created is the status. And we've set created at, which, you know, that comes with most models. We're all used to that already. Um, and then from there, uh, let's say we need to price it. So we have some kind of process that runs. Um, at that time, we might find that <clears throat> we run into like an error state. Let's say that their file is invalid. So we maybe want to have a way to handle that. It could be a status. We also might find that their cards aren't really worth our time. And so we might say we don't want to make an offer at all. Um, but if it meets our criteria, we'll say we do generate an offer. So at that time, we would say, okay, the status is that we have issued an offer. Now the customer has a choice. They can decide to accept it. And if they do so, we have the offer accepted status. And then maybe we want to see that the cards were transferred to us. And once that's happened, there's a transferred status. And then we need to issue payment. And so at that point, once we've issued the payment, we would maybe call that completed. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a, sort of the typical flow, right? It's like you've got some sort of record. It's going to flow through a bunch of statuses. I think one of the places that I notice throws a wrench in things are um, like non-linear statuses, things like an error state or an issue or like needs um like maybe you have a linear flow of like created um offer issued offer accepted payment paid or whatever but you may have like in this case maybe maybe there's like a black lotus in there there's a card that's incredibly valuable and it needs some sort of manual 
review, right? So you, I think the, the, one of the wrenches that I want to make sure that we like identify early is, um, states, uh, s- situations where there's like a linear flow, but there are also like statuses that are outside of that linear flow that need to be accounted for. And maybe yeah. there's some sort of logic about like when something gets into the issue state, it needs to go through some other process before it can get back into the regular flow. Um, so I, I think that every, every flow, no, how, no matter how regular it seems, inevitably has some something that breaks it right yeah if you live with the app long enough um so for example like uh the situation you just just described right so like you accept a inquiry right and so then now they need to like send you the cards right um well what happens if fedex loses that package right so now fedex loses the package so like what state is the order in in a situation where like they accepted it. Maybe we were going to pay them. Then they sent us the thing and then the thing got lost, but we have the shipping number for it. And like, it's now in a state that is just like different than any other state we had planned for. Right. The state of like, am I suing FedEx? Like what's going on here? You know? Yeah. Package lost state (laughs) package lost state. Right. Yeah. I, I do think that some of the things I work with when there is a status, it really is that cut and dry. Like it really doesn't change. Um, and you know, I think Chris, you and I have talked a lot about stuff like this because we both have apps that we lived with for many years. And so we've seen like the progression of certain things needing to be maintained or changing statuses like this needing to be, to, to be maintained. And, um, definitely it does seem like a context driven, like complexity, driven situation where like the status column with timestamps works for me when things are simple. But once to your point, Chris, like things get nonlinear or you have like branching paths, it it gets hairier. And maybe that does call for things that are like a more sophisticated handling. Um, but yeah, to, to your specific question about like this collection, what if it goes missing or something like that? Again, it depends on like how sophisticated you want to get. I mean, you could just say, um, in the case of uh, my one business card conduit, where we're dealing with these kinds of shipments, we might have something as simple as uh, returned sort of catch-all that says, you know, we just ship these cards back to the customer or canceled. Um, and something that requires more like support, like we have to get involved with FedEx or something like that is really sort of handled offline. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be the concern of the web app at that point. Right. You can just kind of use a catch-all like issue or like problem status and just leave it to manual action from there on out. I mean, so that's, I have- and that's kind of how we do that. We We have a similar sort of like job uh um job assignment you know work assignment feature uh where things tend to be linear but we have those like catch-all just oh this this job has a problem of some sort it's in a problem state and like there's now it's just up to admins to figure out what to do with it so i have kind of like a thesis right so like I'm I'm kind of coming in with like a with like a an angle, right? Which is I've said this publicly already, but like I think like 
generally speaking, status columns are like an indication uh, that you want to actually be storing actions instead of the acted upon objects, right? Um, and so like, if you think about like the status columns that we've brought up before, it's, there's like offered, right? And then there's like accepted and rejected and sent, right? And all of them are sort of these like past tense verbs um, that refer to a thing that happened, right? One um, might even say an event. An event, an action, whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? And I think that like in object-oriented world, um, we are so, we're really mostly only comfortable with nouns. Um, we only like to store objects and like objects with attributes and like things like an order or a uh, a post or a user or, you know, things that people, places and things. Um, and my argument is that like the existence of status columns is a yearning for a verb, right? And like if you've added a status column to to a an object, what you're saying is I need a way to store verbs, but I want I want to keep inside of this noun-based paradigm, so I'm going to store verbs as attributes of nouns. Um, and uh, generally speaking, I think that the fact that we hamstring ourselves into only using sort of objects and attributes leads us into these situations where we're forced to use catch-all statuses because the actual specificity of what really happened is doesn't fit the model. Um, and so we're sort of forced into these like extremely broad catch-all statuses where, you know, an object may have gotten into this state in 15 different ways that aren't really the same thing. Um, but we're going to kind of try and find an equivalence between as many of them as possible, just so that we don't end up with 45 different statuses that we have to write giant branching if statements about. I do think there is an inherent awkwardness to the status column. I've always felt that, I don't know, it is just a sort of awkward thing to work around. I'm comfortable with it now um, and sort of have the pattern I like to apply. But event sourcing and the concepts around it are super interesting to me. I was actually recently telling Chris that I, that's something I'm starting to study and I, I think is going to be a really good fit for something I'm working on. Um, I guess like what concerns me is the cost in terms of additional complexity and just not really being familiar with um, the implementation. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason that I asked the two of you to be on this call is like, I think these are two sort of you, your current approaches represent the two extremes, right? Like the status column and a bunch of timestamps is, um, really obvious. Um, and works well, I think, until it doesn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then on the other side, um, treating statuses as uh, events or actions or whatever <clears throat> probably more accurately represents the real world, but is is a level of of abstraction that I think just because is is inherently less obvious. And I'd love, 
I feel like, you know, I, I come into this, I come into each episode imagining a world where we like solve this problem at the end of it, you know, not, not with any belief that that's truly possible, but I would love to come out of this imagining a world where you can get the benefits of sort of an evented approach, but the clarity of the sort of straightforward, just have a status column approach. Like that's, that's, uh, that's my agenda. Maybe I have, I shouldn't have an agenda, but that's, that's where I am. Cause I, I agree with kind of both, both of you on this. It's like, I have seen the power of event sourcing and, um, it's been really, really useful to us in, in the places that we've used it. But I also know that when I go back to that code, it takes me a little while to get my head wrapped back around how the heck it's working, you know? Yeah. I think one thing you said, which I'm not going to give you for free is that, uh, event sourcing is somehow like non-obvious or like, uh, more of an abstraction or more of a mental convolution to wrap your head around than sort of, uh, this sort of status column approach, which you described as obvious. Um, I think I completely disagree, right? So I think the status column, I think of the status column approach as like a convolution um, and like taking a thing that was a clean concept. Like if I just described to you, the customer canceled the order, right? Like that to me is a straightforward concept. And uh, if I said to you, the customer moved the order into the status canceled, like, to me, that's like a non-obvious uh, concept, right? So I think that the the actual implementations of event sourcing are different than uh, a lot of regular object-oriented code that we write. And so, since we live in object-oriented land so much of the day, it's a shift to it's a mindset shift to think differently. And if you're if eighty-five percent of your code is just regular object-oriented code, and you've got fifteen percent that's event sourced, it the context switching may, you know, may make it seem more complicated than it is. But when I live in an app that is fully event sourced, um, or when I, when I stay in event mode for extended periods of time, uh, I think that that to me, storing actions and thinking in terms of what happened as opposed to how, like, as opposed to, what were the sort of secondary effects and the ways that the world changed as a result of what happened um, is easier for me to wrap my head around and more obvious. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I, I guess I'll clarify. Um, I think you're absolutely right that the ergonomics of triggering the events is, is much better, right? Like you said, uh, you know, accept, accept the shipment is is much more clear than like set the shipment to the accepted status um and yeah when i talk about obviousness i guess i'm thinking within the context of like a, the this the standard conventions of a laravel app right this is not how the majority of laravel developers think about code so like if you're bringing on a new de new developer or if you're working on an open source project that other people are going to be interacting with or, you know, anything where other people um, need to interface with the code, 
sticking to straightforward conventions, um, I think is more obvious. And I also will say that I find, um, and I, 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 I'm just going to kind of, uh, lob this up as, as something to, to, uh, sort of dispel later. But, um, I think a large portion of the time when I'm dealing with statuses, I am dealing with them in the context of a point in time, right? So I want to pull all of the jobs that need to be assigned, right? Or I want to um, find all the jobs that haven't, ha- you know, were assigned but haven't been scheduled, you know, or you know, where the window between when they were assigned and scheduled is more than three days or something like that. I'm I'm kind of like a lot of the time that I'm dealing with models that have a status column, it's not in the impacting the status. It's the dealing with the current state of, of the model. And so I think, you know, I can add a helper function that's like, um, accept to a model that just sets the status to accepted. And now I get the ergonomics of like, using the verb but it's a little bit harder um if i'm just thinking of like okay a model has many events and now i need to like parse through all of the events to determine like what its current state is obviously that's if that were the solution it would not it would not be very ergonomic sure shane what are you thinking I guess thinking like you're describing this uh, event sourcing um, as a way of sort of seeing how things happened over time. And to me, this sort of status column concept with if you're providing a timestamp that you're setting for each one of those possible statuses, it's not that dissimilar from it, just in a much more primitive form. Like you're getting a timestamp, like if you wanted to know the sequence of events, you know, okay, it was the uh, offer was generated at this time, and then this happened, and then this happened, and you can sort of read it back like a story, uh, just with the timestamps. You're just not you're not working with the nomenclature that you prefer, or you know, the concepts, um, and so that admittedly is a little more awkward. But and and of course, it's a it's a more brittle, sort of hard coded. Um, situation, but you still get to tell the story when you look at the state of the model. Yes, you can look at the current status and then you can look back at this sort of expected sequence. Again, it's pretty linear. Um, but you, I mean, you do have that information. One other yeah, thing unless, that I like feel you like, go back. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like one other thing that I feel like uh, starts to make it unwieldy is as soon as you need a second piece of information about any status change, right? So for example, like say I need for legal purposes to capture a user's IP address and user agent when they accepted the offer, right? So that I can have some sort of indication that it was actually this user. My only option then is to add a user accepted offer IP column and a user accepted offer UA 
column and store both of those things. And if I need to, God forbid, store an IP and user agent for multiple status changes, right? So like the first status change, I need what IP were they on? The second status change, I need what IP were they on? Now I might yeah. be adding, rather than just adding one column for each status change, I might be adding three columns for each status change. I think that's totally valid. And, and I think that that's where, as things get more complex, like these kinds of problems arise. The other place that I, like not that long ago, was grappling with some aspects of this was I wanted to have a sort of wizard flow for our customers to be able to step through um, the various states of sending a shipment to us. And there are um, various sort of like disclaimers along the way where we explain, okay, here are the fee structures, please agree to these terms. Uh, here are the, uh, I don't know, some other information or like um, things that we want the user to be presented with. And we, and we want them to be able to go back so you're on your current state or status where you're sort of seeing this is what you have to interact with and maybe they're just waiting for something to happen. But we want them to be able to go back and see like, okay, what terms did I agree to? And what fees did you say there were going to be? And those are scenarios where it is pretty tricky to implement that with this, you know, pretty simple, you know, status and timestamp. Like, like storing non-final data or something. Mm-hmm. Like data, like this isn't finalized data that we can like use in the app yet. It only really exists to be able to like repopulate the form that they filled out that they want to view before submitting it. Yeah. And we want to make sure that what they're seeing is consistent with what they experienced. So if you change your fee structures, which could happen, you know, so you need to sort of be mindful of uh, showing the same terms that they agreed to or, you know, whatever. Um and that stuff is uh, is tricky. So I feel like there are two concepts that, in my mind, if I'm trying to imagine like a really nice generalized solution to this problem, uh, the two things that I'm going to reach for are state machines, right, and event sourcing. I think that while I'm not convinced that I'm not convinced yet that just a regular vanilla Laravel app should immediately jump to event sourcing when they need a status column because I, I do worry about the context switching there. Um, I wonder if there's maybe an abstraction around event sourcing that would feel, um, feel more obvious in the sort of object-oriented world um, and I, you know, and I think that there's been a lot of work done around state machines, um, state transitions, uh, and like the sort of rules, um, because that's something we haven't really talked about, but, you know, oftentimes you, you, for more complex systems, you may have rules in place about what, um, what transitions are possible. Can you go from A to B, right? Or, you know, or you can't go from A to C, you need to go from A to B to C. Um, and so I think I would guess that state machines, um, well, state machines are, are complex, but in the simplest form, right? It's just some system of defining the different states that a thing can be in and the rules about 
how they can transition between those states and what to do when they do. Uh, yeah, it's like the, and, the rules and also the process for yeah. transitioning. And um, event sourcing is kind of, you know, a similar concept. Maybe they are, they're, they're kind of overlapping concepts, but I'm just going to take one second and Daniel, then maybe correct me if I get any of this wrong, but let's just like put a basic, uh, the basic terminology together so that then we can kind of think about how we might be able to, to solve this, um, using these ideas. So like in event sourcing, we have events and projectors and, uh, something called an aggregate route, which we don't really have to think about more than the aggregate route is the thing that events happen to. Um, and so we have this, um, what's it, what's it called chain an offer or a, an inquiry, an inquiry, right? So the aggregate route is the inquiry, um, events happen to the inquiry. And then you have projectors that take the event and project state into your system, right? So when a, a created event happens to the inquiry, that is going to set the status on your inquiry model to create it. And when an accepted offer accepted event happens, the projector will project the accepted status onto your model. And if in the case of your, if, of your business logic, you need to know the accepted at timestamp very regularly. You can choose to add an accepted at column to your model and have your projector project that um, timestamp to the model um, when an accepted event happens. But for the statuses that you don't really care about the timestamps for, you don't need to store them on your model because you have that data in your event stream, you can always go back and grab it. Um, you can always add a new projector later that projects that data if you need it. Um, so the data is there, but it's not, your model is sort of just memoizing the data um, or caching the data uh, for the current state of the stream of events. Does that seem like a clear enough picture of sort of formal event sourcing? Yeah, I would. Um, I think that you leaned away from aggregates as like a thing that we don't need to talk about. I think aggregates are, I would say we don't really need to talk about projectors. I think aggregates are the most important thing to talk about, which is like the idea of building up a state from the things that have happened. So being able to answer the question, like, what is the situation right now based on what has happened in the past? to me is like the most important thing that you can do with event sourcing. Sure. I, I guess in my mind, I think of aggregates as um, the implementation of, of doing that internal to your event sourcing logic. And then projectors are the way to get the results of that work out into the rest of your app. And so while I agree that understanding and, and, implementing aggregates is really, really fundamental to, to getting event sourcing. Right. I think from, from the outside world, all I really care about is when I do, when I trigger a new and accepted event, I want my model to have an accepted status 
And I want that to just always work mm-hmm. and like throw an error if that's not allowed to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, that is, uh, that is a way to do it. Right. I think there's also like a world where maybe I want totally separate models for the accepted and rejected ones. Right. Maybe I want like one table that's full of accepted events because like there I care about a lot more information. Right. Like there's like, in those cases I care about like having like a, you know, a ship date and like, you know, maybe a shipment ID and all these other things that like might only relate to something that I've accepted. Whereas if it's declined, maybe all I care about is like, what date did we decline it and who submitted it? Right. Cause like there's never going to be a shipment. So why have an empty shipment ID column, you know? So there are cases where like, I think a single aggregate might project into multiple different models or uh, might project totally differently than just sort of like a model with a status column. Sure. So I guess my question is, is, is there like an in-between somewhere where, you know, for, for, for Shane's app, like if he doesn't want to buy in, you know, altogether to event sourcing and he doesn't want to, let's imagine that he doesn't want to, have to understand what an aggregate root is or the rules around like what can happen in your aggregate and why your aggregate can't understand the mod that models exist, like all the sort of rules that are, are, are good to know when you're implementing event sourcing, like, is there, is there like a world where the, where you can just pull on some sort of trait onto a model and under the hood, it could use formal event sourcing concepts so that you can sort of peel that back later and and get more sophisticated, but you could kind of solve the problem that we're talking about of I want to have a status column, I want to ha- I want to understand some metadata around that those statuses, but I don't want to get too fancy. So I could imagine something along those lines. I think that I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little bit event supremacist here in that, like, I think that you're, what you're going, you're, I can think of all of the ways where this is going to make you wish that you had just done event sourcing in the first place, right? Like you're going to try on this half, this half measure, um, and then you're going to run into its limitations and be like, ah, oh, why didn't I just do this the other way? Right. But I can imagine a situation where like, you know, maybe you create these like sort of action methods that accept some metadata. Right. So you could just have like action and apply action methods. So like uh, cancel offer and apply canceled offer methods that you could just potentially stick on your model. And uh, they would each accept some metadata, right? Um, and then uh, I could imagine that working. Um, and so the main, that- the main thing that you avoid there is having to have actual event objects, right? And so you could just, instead of having objects, you could have like some sort of structured data 
structure that you're passing around that isn't actually reflected by a class and a file that exists in the file system. Um, and instead of having a file that represents an aggregate, you could just have like some random methods on your model that maybe you demarcate with attributes or something to say like, Hey, these are ones for dealing with events. So like you could, you could take all of the bits of event sourcing and sort of shoehorn them into existing files in a Laravel app. Um, I think that, that, that feels uh, like the worst of both. Worlds. <laughs> I was going right? to say, I, well, that's I, what I'm saying. I kind of think all of this feels like the worst of both worlds. Like, you I, know, I think the, the idea of dedicated files and classes for events that are meant to capture a moment in time and like something happening is, is quite appealing. I, I think that, what I struggle with, and again, I, I'm sort of looking into it because I think this implementation could be really good for something I'm working on right now. The thing that's tough for me is like, where are the edges? And, and I think Daniel, before you said that it's you want to sort of go all in because the context switching can be burdensome. And for me, if I don't want to go all in, but I do want to implement this, is that is the juice worth the squeeze? In that scenario. So I would not say you want to go all in. The The thing I was saying is that I think that the reason it feels complicated is because of the con of the context switching, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's like an ethos, right? I mean, it's like a you're you're approaching these problems with a different mindset. Sure. But there are I mean, there are huge like there are parts of apps that I do not think should be event source, right? Like uh, authentication, right? Like I don't think authentication should be event source. I think users should have like a password hash column and an email address column and then they should type those their username and password into a form and submit it and then get logged in and i don't think that we should have like a user logged in event that then projects their session hash or you know something crazy like that like i think that for the most part like object-oriented programming is good and you know i know there's people who disagree but like object-oriented programming is like fine um the there was a time back when all of the architectural concepts that led to rails and laravel were being bandied about in the first place by people like martin fowler and all these you know all these architecture wizards um where domain driven design this concept right was like the idea of like three types of models right which are like uh like models where like you care about their identity that have an ID, right? And then like models where you don't care about their identity, where they're basically like uh, fungible and any model could be any other model. And then like events, those are like the three types of models, you know, in domain-driven design. And like somewhere along the line, like we just kind of got to this place where we we dropped events, but I think that these things actually do live really nicely alongside each other. And I think that like things like users where like, it's important to distinguish one user from another user uh, are like identity based models and like, shouldn't be sort of brought into like an event paradigm. But I don't know. Yeah. The, the question just becomes, how do you, if you're, if you're building an app that where, you know, the, this idea, the status column is sort of the first place where you're really um, wanting an evented approach, 
you know, is there, is there a way to, to implement some of these concepts without introducing quite so much complexity as can you be more sourcing? explicit about like what complexity you think you can get rid of? Well, okay. Yeah. Here, I'll just imagine something like I can imagine. I agree with Shane that, um, having objects that represent the events makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Right. And, um, I think, and, and I, as soon as I say this out loud, I may change my mind, but I'm going to, I'm going to go down this path at least. I think that there's maybe a world where I have a, um, accepted event or accept, you know, accept, um, why can't I think of it? I keep on losing this word. Inquiry, accept inquiry. Accepted right? inquiry is probably what I would call it. Past or inquiry accepted. Inquiry yeah. accepted, sure. Um, right? And in the constructor, the inquiry accepted event takes all the metadata that that event is going to need, right? And I know that from a, you know event sourcing purism perspective, this is probably terrible, but what if that event just had the projection logic right there, right? Here's the event. And then there's also a method on the event that accepts an inquiry model and applies the event data to that model. And that's the whole thing, right? So now you have, you just dispatch these events like events that project themselves, basically. They project themselves to to whatever models you need them to project themselves to. And um, under the hood, in an ideal world, th- there would be um, a proper event sourcing implementation that this is sort of like a layer on top of so that the moment you need to do something that's sort of outside of the scope you need multiple projectors, you need reactors, you need, I don't know. Um, you need to you make need a decision to, about whether or not to project some data based on other events that have already yeah, happened. Right? Like you can kind of peel this layer away when you need it. But in the beginning, I could just have an inquiry accepted event mm-hmm. that accepts the inquiry and the metadata mm-hmm. and then just applies and then just updates the inquiry object to have the status accepted. And that's the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, That feels good to me. Yeah. I think that basically like, I think the requiring a projector to be a separate file than an event is, you know, I think if you build, if you build something more than like, maybe this one state machine, right? You will quickly want separate projectors. But I do think that like, like we have a really, really big event sourcing app, um, this game that we built, and we have one projector file. Like we have a file that contains all projection logic in the entire app. And it's a giant 800 line file or whatever, but like it's one file, you know? Um, so I don't think that there's like a right or wrong place to put projection logic. Um, I think that having it on the event itself 
is a little bit uncomfortable because it removes the logical path to like an event fires, then we make decisions, then we project, right? But I think as like a starting point, I think saying that like events have an optional project function on them and that if an event has a project function, then we fire that project function. Um, I think that's fine. Um, Right. And then you could have like a, um, you know, you could optionally implement a more complex projector if you needed to. I'm just thinking about all you're doing is projecting to one model. I'm thinking about the, the user story for like, okay, I implemented this. I implemented things using this kind of like one file per event mechanism where like the event and the projector are the same file. Right. And then now I have some additional complexity where I need to make like historically informed decisions before projecting data. So therefore I need to start extracting a separate projector. I'm trying to see if that would like, this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around is like, is there like a easy story to tell about how you transition from like the naive implementation to like the more fully, uh, fully fleshed out event sourcing implementation? Well, that, I mean, that decision, that, that um, situation, it's not even necessarily that you need to um, extract out a new projector. It's that you need an aggregate root at that point. Right. right? And that's what I'm saying is like, is there a world where I could implement an aggregate root having a history of existing events that I had created in sort of this other implementation and then re theoretically like replay all those events and like have everything be okay. You know, I can imagine. I mean, I can imagine doing it. Yeah. Yeah. This is getting into, I mean, I, I I worry that I'm going to listen back to this and be like, God, no one's going to have any idea what we're talking about here. Uh, just, to, just to comment, I have no idea what you're talking about. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, a little bit, a little bit. So, I mean, I think what Daniel's getting at is sometimes you have, you need to make decisions about events based on the history of the events that have fired thus far, right? And like, I hate to use this example, but it's the one that comes to mind and it's the one that everyone uses. Wait, I have an example. I have an example. Oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Domain specific. So, like, imagine, imagine, yeah, that's not banking. Um, (laughs) So, imagine you get an inquiry submitted from a user, right? And in the past, um, this user's, uh, I don't know, payments have been declined, or like when you received the cards, you found out they were fake, right? And so, you have reason to distrust this user, right? So you probably don't want to immediately project things when you receive, like you probably don't want to immediately put them into like a order acceptance flow mm-hmm. when the thing comes in. You might want to immediately reject them because you think they're fraudulent, right? And so this is an instance where like these events that happened in the past, which is like, okay, maybe I when three of their, if three of their inquiries have been rejected, then we're going to, reject all of their inquiries in the future right that's the type of thing where like an event comes in and before we make Mm -hmm. database projections we first want to make 
decisions based on previous events. So you're saying if you were to implement this in a more simplistic fashion where you are, as you described, making the projection just based on the snapshot of information, which is not enough to flag something for fraud, as you're describing, or something like that, then if you later are like, uh, I want this more robust implementation with this kind of projection that's happening based on the se- the full sequence, as you're describing, uh, I guess the question becomes that you're asking is, is there like a clean path from one to, to the other? From the, from the sort of more mm-hmm. simple implementation to the more... And like, how do you resolve out. that? Like, do you have to... Yeah, I think so. I think the thing Chris is describing is actually fine. So I think what you could do is basically take those project methods that you had on your events, pull them out to a separate file um, where in where they actually become basically event listeners, right? That listen for an event and then do something. Um, and then you sort of put a uh, an aggregate in between those, for lack of a better word. The issue is that normally what you would do is you would listen to one event and then project another event. So there's normally would be like a first event and a second event. Um, so anyway, that's... I, I think, let me, I want to make, I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think there's a distinction also because in in what you're describing, you're talking about making decisions like if we're thinking about the inquiry as the thing that events are happening on, right? Mm-hmm. You're making decisions about that inquiry based on events that happened to other things. Yes, right? there'd be different there would be different aggregates here. So there would be an account aggregate and an inquiry aggregate and Right. What so I think that there's another example um where it's all within the same same thing, the same aggregate, mm-hmm. right? And like that's that's why I was going to use the banking example, right? Like if you have a, an account and it has, you know, there's a money deposited event of $100 and then a money withdrawn event of $100 and the user tries to do another withdrawal right it needs to understand that the current balance of the account is zero and not allow the money withdrawn event to be fired and in in the naive approach that i was talking about where the events just project themselves um those events you know firing a money withdrawn event would have no understanding of the the balance of the account. All it would have is, you know, the 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 mechanism to cause the account balance to decrease, basically. Right. And so in that moment, you do need to have an aggregate that can hold event data over time. Is that always true? Like, okay, you're describing this withdrawal withdrawal situation where you need to have the funds available, and that depends on the history. But when it comes to like a status update, you similarly you need to know that it's a valid status. It so yeah. I mean, you so could there is like get the, away so the with yeah. So the naive move would be to basically just like query the account model and be like if 
mm-hmm. account arrow balance is greater than event arrow withdrawal amount, then we're good. Otherwise, you know, do something else. Um, the issue there is that you're embedding yourself even further into a non-aggregate implementation, which makes your transition to your eventual transition to aggregates even more work. Right. Yeah. That's what I was getting at too, is like in event sourcing, you really want your aggregates and projectors to have no understanding of the, the underlying data that they're, well, the projectors do, but like you don't want the logic around your events to understand the eventual models that you're projecting data into. Because if you keep that separation, then if you ever need to change something or rerun your event stream, you you just reproject the events and you like build up state um, without any problem. Whereas if your event logic relies on the current state of the projected data, you know, you lose the ability to rerun events. You lose the ability to add new projectors and project old data to new new places. Like you lose a lot of the um, flexibility, the power, yeah. the power of event sourcing. So I think that the moment that you need to hold aggregated event data um, to make event logic decisions, you need an aggregate right? You need to have a place to store that. And so like in my sort of imaginary world, I could see just having like a interface that you could add to a model that's like get aggregate. Mm -hmm. And if your system encounters a model that implements that interface, instead of using the model, it uses the aggregate. And that way, when you need to start aggregating data, you can but you still don't need it until you need it. Maybe there's a world where like, maybe that introduces some bad habits, but there are some other concepts that exist. So like, um, like Spotsy's package includes this concept like called event queries, which are basically like, they're like aggregates, but less, (laughs) uh, less declarative. (laughs) Um, So they're basically like, okay, well, what if I just wrote a good query that told you what events should be applied to this aggregate and then use those events to build up a state over time, right? So rather than having an event be assigned to an aggregate when you run it, right, or when you dispatch it, where you say, like, I'm dispatching this event onto this aggregate, instead you can sort of have, like, a post-facto uh, well, I'm just going to like build an aggregate up from historical events instead, um, which is useful in cases where you need to like do secondary state building with aggr- or with events that were actually assigned to different aggregates. Um, right. But I don't know. So I'm thinking maybe the naive implementation, if you want to like avoid aggregates and you want to be able to like transition to aggregates with old data that wasn't assigned to aggregates when it was created um, that maybe there's some sort of like uh, query based solution that you could build or whatever. Does that make any sense, Shane? Uh, yeah, it does. 
um, I don't know if we're any closer to, you know, me implementing this tomorrow. Um, I would but, love to like know what the problem you want to solve is. Okay. Here's a, I mean, I think it's a good one and it relates to what you were describing before, Chris, with the banking example, but we have, um, uh, a rental program. This is for the online game, magic online. Um, we don't have to get too deep into the nitty gritty here, but we let our customers, um, have a rental limit and they can then take out whatever cards they want to play with and we have to keep track of what cards they've taken and deduct that from their balance and then when they return them they free up that balance to be able to take out other cards and so keeping tabs on that is um uh, having discussed it a bit with Chris before and, and sort of thought thought about it because I, I have this opportunity to sort of build all of this from scratch. I, I'm in the process of sort of rebuilding everything. And um, it struck me that event sourcing could be great as a way of knowing what cards are on loan and what a uh, customer's balance is at any given time and sort of, you know, being able to make use of that that implementation pattern. Well, another important distinction is that card values change, you know, regularly. Mm -hmm. So having to have an understanding of what was the value of the card when they rented it and what is the value of the card when they're returning it. Um, well, needing to understand what was the value of the card when they rented it, because that's the, that's the amount that has to be returned regardless of what the value is now, mm -hmm. but also being able to do some sort of secondary analytics on like, you know, how much are card values changing between the time when they're rented and returned? Totally. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting information there as well as like utilization, um, rates for our customers, you know, uh, being able to spot sort of problematic patterns, um, for people that are sort of abusing the system that we have. Um, so the story that can be told by having things in this event driven, thing that where you can do these projections is super interesting for that reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think that in that case, right, like the big thing that you care, I mean, it might be useful to have like a card aggregate or something as well for other reasons. But like the big thing that you care about is like a user like lending account aggregate, right? So you want to aggregate information about like a given user's lending account, right? And like what the, or rental account or whatever, right? And basically like what is their current balance, right? Which is like their, I guess their borrowing potential or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so like how much are they currently allowed to leverage essentially versus, uh, and then like all of the events that change that, which is like taking things out, returning things, you know, stuff of that nature. And, you know, I don't exactly know what the attributes that are, that you're updating are, whether there's like a, just a number which represents their, you know, their available credit or whatever. Um, and that that number like goes up and down or whether it's more complex and it's like, it's a difference. It's, it's a combination of like number of cards and value of cards. No, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's very simple. It'll just be, you take out the cards. We, what are the, you know, take a snapshot of their value at that moment 
and that <sighs> needs to be deducted. So if your balance is 500 and you take out a bunch of cards and they're worth in total 400 uh, the in-game currency, then your balance at that point would be 100. And then, gotcha. and then maybe, and this is again sort of like a step forward, it, tradition, in the old web app, which was built you know, many years ago, um, this system came sort of late in the game. We were originally just sort of traditional e-commerce. And so when we introduced this rental program, uh, you would place an order for the cards. Let's say it's, you know, a hundred cards or something. And um, when you were ready to return, you had to return the order. There was a sort of tight coupling between mm -hmm. the cards you had taken and this one sort of order resource. And so uh, that's another thing that's a part of the system would be great is you, you can place this order or that order. You, you Maybe you've read yeah, the so same card. One order might have four cards in it and then you might mm -hmm. have a you might only send, you might send back two of those cards and two other cards from a separate order mm -hmm. at the same time. And some of those orders might have the same exact card um, at different values because they're at different points in time. And so then you want to return them at some point. It's so we just need a way to sort of reconcile all of that. Yeah, that's I mean, so interesting. This is a really, really, I think, really good case for event sourcing. And I'll happily hang out talking about event sourcing for a while. I, I also could see saying like, do we want to get back to statuses? <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm good either way. I just wanted to at least put that out there. Yeah. I mean, this in this case, like a balance, you know, it's statuses are more like, uh, how do you say? Statuses are more like balances are continuous right from zero to infinity and everywhere along the way um whereas statuses are like there's like five of them or whatever and we like rotate through them depending on like what the status is um but i think essentially balances and statuses are the same problem which is that like actions happen and i'm trying to reduce that down to a single piece of data you know um, yeah i mean that was like a thing that I am embarrassed to say took me so long to wrap my head around is like when, when I'm using eloquent and I call some under the hood, that's, that's calling an aggregate method. Mm -hmm. And like, it took me so long to wrap my head around the fact that in event sourcing, this term aggregate root is the same as a sum or an average or, um, a, a median, like an aggregate function in in a database or in a in a you know a, or in anything, that they're all the same. The aggregate root is just aggregating all the things into one thing. Yeah, right? it's just applying one applying a function on top of another function on top of another function on top of another function until the state is up to date. Right, right, and and status columns are the same. You're aggregating a bunch of events. A bunch of time into stamps. one yeah. single status, right? The current status. Yeah. Yep. I agree, um, and I think that. I mean, yeah. I don't know that we are. I don't know that we're going to come up with any kind of like solution here, except that like, I think the solution is like, you know, get more comfortable with verbs, you know. And I do think there are in between things that people can do before like installing a package about it, you know, I think that they should maybe experiment with like, 
well, why don't you create a table in your database that is a verb, you know, just like any verb. Um, but create a table that doesn't describe a noun that describes a verb instead. Um, and then see what the logic that you have to write in order to incorporate those verbs are. Right. So I think like, you know, an example is like, you know, like a cancellations table or something right like that. Right. Like it's when we, we, you know, noun ourselves a verb, um, you know, but I think that like, creating a table that uh, is made up of like times when people did a certain action um, and then like writing the logic that way rather than uh, rather than like keeping the actions imaginary and writing the effects in, in the database. Uh, I think that is like a really good like training wheels for this mental model of like, just deal with verbs more. Um, and deal with nouns less and see how it feels and see the types of queries you write, you know, know. that would say, I would say that would be my like baby steps. I, I like, I do really like that insight that this problem that we're kind of touching on or, and specifically the problem of statuses is, is really trying to shoehorn a noun into a place where you're dealing with verbs. A status is is describing Actions. basically the most recent thing that happened. Yeah. And like trying to unwind that a little bit makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not opposed to the idea of like if you have a status column just make each status or each way that something can get into a status an event that gets stored in a table mm-hmm. and then just have that event have like a handle method or whatever that just applies that event to the model itself. And like, even, even if you want to, right. If you want to like, not, if you want to like be, I'm not gonna like, I insist I won't event source this whole app. Right. So like, I'm going to draw a hard wall. I think even making a table called like inquiry events. Right. And so it's a dedicated table. That's only full of things that happen to an inquiry. Right. And maybe it has a type column where it's like, you know, a magic string that describes the type of event that happened. Right. And then, it has a bunch of other columns for metadata, right? Or it has like a JSON column that can accept some magic payload of metadata. Like, I think even just like building that column and like sort of do it yourself, like when something happens, store an event in that column and then like create like an accessor on your inquiry model that just like runs a query of like all of the events that happened to this thing that then like, aggregates them in real time and generates your status or something, you know, I think that you could even add a like on created listener to that table. I mean, yeah, you could make like an observer or some shit. Yeah. That applies the event to, cause I think in the end, I mean, the thing that I am very adamant about is a solution where you don't have a status column on the inquiries table Mm -hmm. is going to be bad to use 
like in day-to-day work because, right, because I need to you want to write a query of like yeah. all of the ones in this current status, right? For like a triage view or something. Yeah. And I don't want to do some sort of sub query where I'm querying yep. on the events table and finding the latest event. And of course. Yeah. 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 You want to project that, that data. You just also want to be able to delete the entire column of statuses and recalculate it at any given time. Yeah. yeah. I do think that the metadata is a huge piece and in with this very simple implementation you really get like the timestamp and then to your point daniel you have to like awkwardly define very specific database fields um and so yeah like maybe a separate table you could call it inquiry events or it could be inquiry statuses it could be even more specific and it's just like okay yeah. here's the status update and here's the metadata if any um and the timestamp um, I wouldn't go yeah. statuses because I would go status transitions, maybe. Mm. <laughs> sure. Because like you want the whole point is you want to capture not the status, but the right, right. thing the... that made the status change. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you may like inquiries isn't as good an example, but in in the system that we have in place where we're we're um assigning uh, assigning work to inspectors and spy and assigning jobs to inspectors, um you know, those go through a, a pretty typical, you know, c- created, offered, assigned, scheduled, completed kind of um, set of statuses. But if a job needs to be assigned to a different inspector, right, um, it would be great to have a reass- reassigned event that not only changes the status but also nulls out some other columns nulls out maybe some of the timestamps that we're storing because we need to query on those timestamps but like something can transition from scheduled to assigned where really it was rolled all the way back to new and then reassigned all in the same moment. Yeah. And so being able to represent that whole suite of changes as a single event would be way, way nicer to work with. That's a really good point. I mean, that kind of reversion is a standard thing that I typically have as part of this implementation. Like people make mistakes, they click the button, but like on the admin side, most often to advance something and then they say, oh, I want to undo that. And so they revert or in your, what you're describing, Chris, where you need to sort of reset. And, you know, there's obviously very simple ways to handle that, but oftentimes that means unless you're doing like auditing and stuff, like you're kind of losing a bunch of data, you're like wiping out a bunch of timestamps. And so what you're describing could be nice as a way to capture that moment. Right. Maybe Um, they accepted an offer and then like you realized, Oh, this card that we thought was worth 40 cents is actually worth $200. Like you have to reissue a new offer to them because you made a mistake and like you want to, yeah, you want to have knowledge of that, that fact somewhere in your system. There's, um, this is just sort of unrelated to what you were just saying, but something that I've been thinking about recently is that like Git is an event source system, right? So like right. if you like use Git and like do commits and, uh, rebases and merges and, you know, 
revert commits and you know do all of this stuff like what you're doing is basically deriving the state of your code base from the aggregate of all of the events that have happened over time right and uh you can delete your dot git folder and the code base is still in the same state it was before right um and so there's something cool about the fact that uh you know every like every day we kind of interact with something that's like fully event sourced and like we don't think about it as such all the time um and i do think that like git has a lot of lessons to teach us about event sourcing right and so like if you just look at like git one of the biggest things that git does is tell you whether a certain chain of events is compatible with another chain of events and like whether you can like combine those two chains of events or not or if there are conflicts between them and like you would need to resolve those conflicts in order to merge them right and so like those are the sorts of things i'm starting to think about now uh, we're talking about building some some games that are more like real timey, um, meaning that like we might be building up event queues, like each player might be building up their own event queues that sort of get pushed up to the server in batches every once in a while, and so there's some stuff to like make sure that the the batch of events that you get from player one is compatible with the batch of events that you get from player two before you sort of zip them up and apply them. Um, and I think like Git implementation of that is like really strong. And so thinking about like event sourcing as like deriving the state of your application from Git and like people doing commits instead of doing events is like a really interesting thought, right? And so when you talked about this, sorry, the reason I thought of it is when you were talking about like people making a mistake on the admin side and then needing to like revert those changes, right? Like earlier yesterday, I accidentally merged a PR in a client's repo, right? That like was not ready to merge. And so I had to like quickly revert it. Well, like GitHub gives you a button that it just says revert and it just opens another branch and like opens like a PR creation dialogue to just like press two buttons and have another pull request up that undoes all of the changes that you just did. But it's kind of this like forward only like in the in the same way that like people don't use like down methods on their migrations or whatever, it's kind of this like forward except only, for except for Chris. Um, it's this forward only thing where it's like if you want to undo something, you just do more stuff to undo it, right? And anyway, the, these are all the thoughts that I'm just like swimming in all the time. It's just like, <laughs> I feel like I'm like uh, seeing the seeing the universe all the time. Where I'm just like, oh my god, there's events. Everything's events. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's like the whole, what the heck is, I always forget this acronym, CR. CQRS. CQRS, yeah. Wait, um, which stands for, hold on. I Conflict. Wait. Command query responsibility oh. segregation. Yeah, CQRS yeah, is an architectural pattern for separating reading data, a query, from writing data, a command. CQRS dev- uh, derives from command and query separation Commands mutate state and are approximately equivalent to method invocation on aggregate roots or entities. Queries read state but do not mutate it. So yeah. Wait, but isn't there? There's like a there's there's another similar acronym that that um, describes um, like the 
the type of event that's like an, an event that's built to be, um, Never mind. I'm not, it's not going to come to me. Okay. But yeah. That, that's a, that it's a whole, that's a whole other piece is like, if you get too far down this rabbit hole, then you start thinking, yeah, you have to start thinking about, um, you know, conflict resolution and mm-hmm. asynchronous event, uh, concerns. And, you yeah. know, like if you, if you ever tried to implement offline mode in an app or something like that, right. you need to, resolve all the actions that were taken so into this is actually, separate clients like yeah it's so i was just it, talking it to john wild. i was just talking to john my thunk partner about this and he's also like the game design guy right and he has this card game that he built that we're probably going to build like a react native implementation of it and we're like we need to build like a react native like a react event sourcing framework really because like what we're doing is like it's all events, right? A player does an event and does another event and whatever. Um, And I was telling him about like, so in Hearthstone, when you, like if you switch applications in the middle of a turn and then come back, it plays all of the events back to you at like three X speed to like catch you up to the current moment. Right. right? And I was like, Oh, well that like shows me the technical implementation that they actually do have a queue of events going on right because if they didn't they wouldn't be able to do that so they have a queue of events that happen and they're just like playing them one after the other in order to like make things happen so anyway it's just stuff like this where i'm like i'm everywhere i look i'm like events i see it i see it there's events there (laughs) these things that look like static states are actually derived from events yeah especially games like hearthstone where or, or magic i mean is a perfect example of like you've got all these very complex rules about like phases and priority and like, you know, when, when two different things that sort of kind of happen at the same time happen, like which one, it does matter which one happens first. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, in game design, I imagine that this comes up all the time. It does. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really like this idea of um, even if it's not a package, even if it's just like a, you know, a custom sort of bespoke implementation, this idea of just having a table of events that happened to a specific thing that needs, needs statuses. Right. Yeah. Because then if you do decide to go full event sourcing, it's pretty easy to like write a job that would turn that table into event events right right so yeah, like yeah. you could because chris and i have experience like, saying like let's event source something that we have a ton of like 10 years of historical data for that wasn't event sourced you know yeah so like if we could do that you could definitely turn that table into events right something that's already basically event source right and then yeah like each one of those models each one of those events you you know, you could do something pretty simple, like just have a, a a callback, like a static callback inside of the saved or created um, event listener. And in that static callback, it just like runs a switch statement on what is the type of event, right? You like have an enum or something like that, trying to just keep it as simple as possible. So you have an enum or you just have some constants on the model itself. I don't care, right? Yep. Um, 
So my Ideally, thing, you'd have an Enom. I think, I think this is actually like the way to go. So I think like if you're like on the fence about event sourcing, build your own implementation based on like some of the concepts of event sourcing, but yeah. like fuck all of the specific words like aggregate roots and projectors and reactors and like all of that. And don't use a package because then you're going to have to learn all those words in order to do anything, right? Like just start building the implementation using verbs and like you will get to a point where you're like, oh man, it would be really cool if I could like aggregate all of these events to derive a specific state and be like, okay, cool. You have now happened upon the concept of an aggregate root, right? Like you've happened upon the need for which this thing was was created. And then at that point, you either build your own event sourcing package, which is what we're doing, um, or you just don't and just like keep it in house or you go pull in event sauce or Spotsy's event package or ours, whenever we, the fuck we get it out, you know, but uh, you know, eventually maybe you want to like fall into some sort of a framework. Um, but I think at first, like just build some actions, you know, and like see how it feels to play with them. You know, I, I accept that that's a great uh, suggestion for Shane it doesn't satisfy my uh, my desire to um, just say, oh, I have a solution for this. Whenever I need a status column here on out, I'm going to pull in this package that I wrote that just solves it for me. Sure. But I can yes. live with that for now, I suppose. I'll, I I'll so. probably end up hacking on something after this because... I do think that there's a world. I do like, I mean, I, I am going to take this self-projecting events concept and pull it into our package, I think. Because, like, I think as, like, because I'm always thinking about things in terms of the, like, the learning process, you know, and, like, the onboarding process for a new yeah. user. And I think for a non-eventy person, like, the onboarding process to events, if you just say like, hey, here's an event and here's how it mutates the database. It's all in one file, like go to town. Like, yeah, I think that is a cool onboarding process. I do want to do some work on like, what is the upgrade path to aggregates, you know? Um, yeah. But I think that like, I do think that any non-aggregate event, there's nothing preventing it from being a single file. Yeah. And, and I think that there's pretty easily, I, I think that there's a world where you can just inject an aggregate into that scenario as well. If you need it, I don't think, I think that you could, I think that you could never write a projector I bet you you could get away with only having self-projecting events for a while and then introducing aggregates second and introducing a projector third. I don't think that you need mm -hmm. to extract out to a projector. I, I think agree. You I could think just... the projectors being like the first, like projectors being the first concept you learn about in event sourcing is like really ass backwards. Yeah. And like maybe, maybe the, um, maybe you force that separation by letting the events from the execution perspective, I can just pass in my inquiry model into the event, but the package under the hood 
basically says like, hey, if this event doesn't have an aggregate, just call to array. I mean, if this model doesn't have an aggregate, just call to array and pass that array in. And that way, like from your projection perspective, you're not dealing with the event itself. And you're not dealing with the model itself. You're just dealing with data. And that way from the very beginning, like you could even make it so that your system did like array accept model get key so that the thing that goes into the event itself doesn't have the ID of the model. So like your code is forced to not think about the database at that moment. I think what you're describing is a transducer. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that we got there because it is. It's all transducers in the end. In the end, it's all transducers all it's, the way it's down. Transducers over time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shane just <laughs> the face Shane just made. <laughs> well, in my current uh, side project, I am writing a Rust audio editor, um, and so the idea of like processing like an ever growing stream of bits over time and doing complex branching things with them has caused me to wonder whether I actually just want transducers. <laughs> so Yeah, you might need them in we'll Rust. It, it could be great. Well, I feel like this is a good I feel like this is a good place to stop. Yep. It's been a pleasure. Uh, this has been fun. Yeah. This is one I I've been thinking about this for so long. I'm I'm not I'm not sure if tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and be like all right, we need to get on and have a whole other discussion or, or I'm always land, down to but. spend 90 minutes talking about my psychotic fever dreams of events. <laughs> well, this has been great for me. I'm going to, I'm going to be using some of this. Yeah. I sure. can't wait to see what happens with it. Shane, I put a link in the chat that you should look at. It's a, it's an event flow that we just did for a client uh, for their orders system. Um, oh. And it's, kind of similar to your system so maybe take a look see if there's anything to glean i love it thank Uh, you and i'll just be putting your proprietary stuff in the show notes don't worry now do (laughs) that (laughs) i won't all right uh we good anything else good all right here we go Hell yeah. I just triggered the outro event. <laughs>